Are you familiar with the phrase anticlimactic? Uh, <laughs> sometimes you just have to kind of wonder why bother, right? I mean, they preached it, um, and we're so grateful that you're here today. Last week, um, when, when we began the season of Advent, um, Greg spoke about waiting. And he used this um, idea that um, we're, we're talking about light coming into darkness. This is, this is from the Gospel of John. The birth of Jesus Christ is the light coming into the darkness. And, and, and on the first Sunday of Advent, when we're waiting, it's kind of like you know, sunrise, where it comes up in the east, and there's kind of pink and orange colors. But there's kind of a lot of darkness around yet, too, and you can't see very well. Uh, this idea of sunrise, some of you have actually experienced. Others of you have simply heard about it, but it happens every day. Um, and uh, what we're doing now, tonight we're moving today, today toward a, an idea of preparation. Today's theme is about preparation. And that early morning sunrise has now moved to the midday sun. Um, and that kind of light exposes everything. In that early dawn um, light, sometimes, uh, you know, it, it, you can still see things in the shadows. You're not really sure what they are. And you're not sure. Things can surprise you. You can't really see everything clearly. But... In the midday sun, there is no hiding, and that sun is full and hot and warm and great, and we've all experienced that in some way where uh, you've been in a building, let's, let's say you've been in the sanctuary here at Elmhurst Church, and you, you go out out into the, in, into the narthex out there in that hallway, and the sun is so bright you can hardly even see because you're squinting and everything, and you don't know who's there. And that's the kind of bright light that we're celebrating today and thinking about in terms of preparation. And preparation is important for almost everything we do, right? Um, a business leader once said that if you fail to prepare, you prepare to fail. If you fail to prepare, you prepare to fail. And so, um, you know, if you're going to have a holiday party, uh, you've got to prepare. Um, unless you're like super spontaneous, which freaks everybody out. Um, you've got to figure out when you're going to have it, what time of day is it going to be, who are you going to invite? What kind of food are you going to serve? Uh, and then, then that's just the decision making. Then it's the actual implementation on that day. You've got to get the food ready and the guests ready and everything. You've got to dress up nice and all this other jazz. Um, and, and, and so the, the success of that holiday gathering will be based on how well you're prepared. The party itself is just execution. It's all about how well um, you have prepared. And, uh, you know, have you, have you ever thought, for instance, about what goes into a worship service? I mean, a lot of times, we, I think, you know, we show up on Sunday, which is all we really expect you to do. 90% of success is showing up. You can't grow and worship if you don't show up. But you, you, you're handed a worship folder, and you look, and there's a nice order of worship there, and it, it, everything's kind of in order. Um, but we work weeks and months in advance to plan the themes and ideas, and every week we publish... Uh, for our use, uh, those of us who are participating, you know, an outline like this that has every element of the service in it, and there's times on the left. Those mean absolutely nothing, but we put them there anyway. No. Actually, the, there is a sense of timing, because even though we're not bound by time, um, there is a sense that we have to kind of keep things moving ahead of time. And we have this plan, and, and every element is in there about when that's going to happen and how it's going to happen and what is going to happen. And some people say, well, isn't that kind of confining? I mean, you know, you reform people don't leave any room for the Holy Spirit. And, and I say, well, maybe you're limiting the Holy Spirit to not work ahead of time in the planning process, right? And then in the moment, 
we can change or move or whatever. And I, I, don't, I don't know if you noticed or not, but in the order of worship, it said that Lisa Capazzoli was going to pray in this service. And I don't think Greg looks at all like Lisa Capazzoli. But we have flexibility. We know where we want to go. If we get off course, and sometimes some of our leaders here at church will take us into the weeds a little off course. You know, those other people, I would never do that, but other people do it. But we know where we have to get to. We know where we want the plane to land. We know where we're getting to the end. And this plan helps us. It's the preparation of this plan that makes for effective and important worship. Preparation is the key to so much of success in life. And so God asks us to prepare. He tells the people of Israel to prepare, to prepare for the light that's going to come into the darkness. And this metaphor of darkness and light is something that's used in the scriptures from the beginning until the very end. And the darkness is any place God is absent, any place where God's influence is not there, it's dark. And the light refers to God's presence. Sometimes it's full noon light, sometimes it's early morning dawn, sometimes it's sunset, but there's always a little bit of light. Wherever God exists, there's a little bit of light. He brings light into the world. And we're preparing to receive this full light of the noonday sun. And so Isaiah says, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Darkness covers the earth, thick darkness over the people. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn and the brightness of the noonday sun. Our light has come. The dawn is over and the full noonday sun is shining. The light has come to drown out the darkness, thick darkness. And just as Isaiah had called people to prepare, John the Baptist also called us to prepare. This is the third time this scripture is going to appear in this service. And there's a, there's a, a beautiful redundancy in what the Bible does all the time. And so we don't apologize for being redundant with Matthew chapter 3, but we're going to ask you to participate this time. I'll read the white part, we'll read the yellow part together. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God, heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Prepare the way of the Lord. John the Baptist had a role of preparation. He was preparing the world to receive the Messiah, Jesus Christ. We're encouraged to prepare the way of the Lord, to prepare the way of the Lord in our hearts and in our minds to receive the good news of Jesus Christ in a different way. Many of us, myself included, can't remember a time when we didn't know Jesus. But every year at Christmas time, we prepare to receive this light in a new and special way. Why? Not because Jesus changes, but because our lives are different. We're in a different spot. There are different things happening. Where does the light need to shine in our lives right now? Prepare yourselves to receive the light in a new way, in a different way. Part of that preparation is to understand that this light isn't going to automatically be recognized as the light of God. Now, Israel wasn't recognized as a nation of God right away. It was just a small, inconsequential group of people that eventually God made powerful. And so it was that this light that came into the world, this person that we know as our Lord and Savior, really came un under the radar screen, did he not? This long-awaited Messiah that was, that was uh, prophesied about and was going to be the light that came into nations was born in perhaps a lean-to or a cave out behind 
uh, you know, a bed and breakfast in a suburb of Jerusalem. And nobody knew it. The shepherds were called to come, and some magi showed up, but it wasn't like on Facebook or the nightly news or in the paper. Nothing really, no one really knew under the radar. And then his parents, who no one knew, common people, took this baby eventually, a little detour to Egypt, and eventually back to Nazareth, where he lived for 30 years. And the only people that knew Jesus were the people who maybe grew up in that town and who used him and his father as a carpenter. Unassuming, common, under the radar screen, no bright lights, no loud trumpets, the light coming into the darkness, and you don't even realize it. Now we use the word darkness the same way it was used in the scripture. We just don't always think about it that way, right? So darkness represents God's absence and evil, and light represents God's presence and good. It represents the darkness we talk about in terms of ignorance as well as simply evil. So when the light comes, it chases away the evil parts of the world, and the light overcomes the darkness, but it also chases away our ignorance. So we speak about, right, so I was left in the dark. What does that mean? You know, you didn't give me all the information. I was left in the dark. I was kind of ignorant about that. I didn't know it was coming. And so part of the preparation is to give people not only the idea that Christ is coming, but the good news, the intellectual idea that Christ is coming as well, and what the true meaning of Christmas is all about. Now, we can think that we're prepared for the light, but sometimes it can fool you. I mean, in the summertime, you can know, well, it's going to be kind of warm today. The sun's predicted to be out all day. But sometimes that can really fool you. I mean, you can go out. I guess I can mow the grass today and go out there. I didn't realize it was going to be that hot. And you have to stop halfway through because it's just too hard and hot. And you just can't finish. Or, well, I'm going to go out for a long run today because it's warm and the sun is out. But you didn't realize it was that warm or that hot. And the same thing can happen also in the wintertime. I mean, I have an office over there in the corner. It's got windows on both sides. And I can sit in that office in the wintertime and notice outside, man, the sky is such a bright blue and the sun is shining. It's a glorious day outside, only to walk outside and be completely fooled. It's like below zero. It looks good outside. But that sunshine can kind of fool you. Some of our coldest days are the clearest days that we have here in the Midwest. Isaiah and other prophets, as well as John the Baptist, tried to prepare people for the coming of Jesus. And then he came. And just like that sun that's too hot or too cold, people got a little bit fooled. They were confused. I mean, Jesus, the fullness of God's light, promoted what we can call an upside-down gospel. If you were loyal to following Jesus, you would have to give in order to receive. You would have to serve rather than be served. You would have to die in order to live. That's completely upside-down to the way we normally think. The noonday sun didn't hang out with religious leaders. He hung out with fishermen and tax collectors and thieves and other sinners. He said crazy things like, I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. What does that mean? Is that any way for a Messiah to talk? I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. He went to visit people who were exiled and marginalized that no one else would ever come to see or be with like Legion. And he overtly warned the religious leaders about how they were doing a disservice to God because of their behavior and their attitudes and their teachings. This wasn't what they expected, and that noonday sun 
really kind of fooled them. Now, in the time I've been a pastor, you know, you can go to churches and you can work with people, and sometimes I'm asked to consult with other churches that are trying to figure out what to do next. And, um, and a lot of times they'll say, oh, we, we need to change, we know we need to change, and we want to change, we really want to change. Change is good. And they realize that either you change or you die, and so change is probably good because change is better than death. But everybody in this process of change in life has what I call a threshold of change. You know how we all have a threshold of pain? Everybody has a different kind of threshold of pain. You can tolerate more pain, some more than others. Um, you know, when, when you're doing rehabilitation with a physical therapist, there's a point at which you just go, I can't do this any longer. That's your threshold of pain. And for some, it's as soon as you wake up in the morning, that's your threshold of pain. And for others, it's, it's more rigorous and difficult and painful. That's your threshold of pain. And everybody has a threshold for change. Oh, I, I think we need to change. I'd love to change. But I didn't know it would mean this. Uh, I've got a threshold for change. I, I, I can't adopt that. I can't move there. And Jesus was all about encouraging people to change and trying to stretch us past our normal threshold for change. And we all prepare for the light differently. But the light is transformational, and the light brings change. I didn't know it would mean this to be a follower of Jesus. I mean, if we only think that following Jesus means it's great, it's easy. Following Jesus is the easiest thing you could ever do in your life if you think that all it means is you follow along behind him and let him do all the work. But when Jesus said, follow me, what he meant was, see the world the way I see it. Love the people the way I love them. Embrace the difficult things the way I embrace them. See things through my eyes and love things through my heart. Following Jesus isn't just about following along behind. It's becoming like Jesus, as Jim was saying earlier when he was talking about the involvement with this live stream to the prisons. But preparing to receive the light ourselves is not the end game in Christmas at all. Preparing to receive the light has a whole different meaning in the scriptures. In Isaiah 49, he writes, it, is it, too small a thing for, or it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel that I have kept. That's too small of an assignment. That is your assignment, to go find the Israelites who have kind of wandered away and left the path. That's part of your assignment, is to reclaim that flock. But that's too small of a thing. I will also make you a light to the Gentiles to the ignored, to the enemy, to the people you wouldn't ordinarily go to, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. It is too small a thing for us to just receive the light of Christmas. We receive the light so we can share the light. When the Apostle Paul stood before King Agrippa and was trying to give his testimony and defend his faith in Jesus Christ, he said, God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike, to the commoners in the room and to the king Agrippa. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. That the coming of Jesus Christ was to, to bring light to us and to share that light with other men and women. The light dawned and grew into the noonday sun, bringing the message of his resurrection and hope and transformation and change to the entire world, not just to us. 
Now, one of our traditions at Elmer's Christian Reformed Church um, is to participate in what we call glimmers of hope. And so when you came in today, you probably noticed if you came in the south doors, or even if you came in the west doors, that these, these three um, white Christmas trees in the lobby, they all have Christmas ornaments on them. And each of those Christmas ornaments represent some cause that we're trying to support. And so one is from a denominational ministry called World Renew, one is from the Lampstand Ministry, which is a ministry on the west side of Chicago, and one is simply to help people um, in our own congregation um, and in DuPage County, others who, who need a little bit of financial aid during the Christmas season. And this is our way of saying, hey, we're willing to say that we can receive the light. Isn't it great that we have the light? Isn't it great that God has given us all these gifts? But we want to pass that light on to other people. And it's not a great thing. But if you look at that world renew thing, for instance, you're bringing a little bit of light in the darkness of someone's life. And you know how much can make a difference? One chicken, one goat, one sheep. You can provide that for someone in a third world country, and that can transform their lives for years. And it's hard for us to imagine. I mean, you and I, I mean, hopefully, you know, woke up this morning. I'm, I, I don't want to take a poll because it would be embarrassing. You know, how many of you brushed your teeth this morning? Put on some deodorant. You came to church, took a shower, had all the toiletries you needed. On the west side of Chicago, that's not true. There are people who live in such poverty, they don't have the things that we take for granted every day. And so they've asked us to buy toiletries for those who who are impoverished. That, that, for them, would be an amazing gift for Christmas. And there are people in DuPage County, some in our own congregation, who can't really think about celebrating Christmas because they're so financially strapped, and so we try to help them as well. That's, that's not just receiving the light, that's sharing the light. On December 18th, we'll participate in another tradition that we have here, which is to have a shared live stream service with uh, the prisoners at Louisiana State Prison in Angola. And, and this is something they look forward to every year during the Christmas season because it's a little bit of light coming into the darkness. And, you know, it's just hard to imagine how dark prisons can be. But at one time, Angola prison was the darkest prison in America. It was a bloody mess. People were being killed there all the time. There was drugs, contraband. The enemies were the guards and the inmates, one against the other, internal gangs. And some of that still exists. You know, but in Angola, probably 80% of the people who are in the Angola prison will never, ever, ever get out of there. They have no hope of ever getting out into the free world. That's their life. But a warden came, Brill Kane, who loved Jesus. And nothing else has transformed prisons much. Maybe Jesus can change. And so we brought a little bit of light in that darkness, and it grew, and it grew from dawn the noonday sun to the point now where there are several churches in the Angola State Prison. There are many pastors in the Angola State Prison of those churches. There's a seminary in the Angola State Prison where people can go and study so they can lead these churches. And we send people down there periodically to read, lead retreats and to work with the pastors there. It's a little bit of light in their darkness. And there's also... Um, some ornaments on the tree where you can send gifts to people at, in the Angola State Prison. And when you think about, well, what, what would bring a little bit of light into someone's darkness? You know, how dark is it at Angola State Prison? This is the packets that were literally sent to Angola State Prison. They contain one pair of socks, one container of tinfoil foil tuna fish, four pieces of stationery to write on with four envelopes, and a small, whoops, 
Somebody stole my small packet of candy. Who did that? Greg? A little between-service nourishment for the music department? It wasn't big enough to share, so you had it all yourself for like three Okay, so let me ask you this question. If on Christmas morning, you said to your spouse, Honey, this is what I got for you for Christmas. Or vice versa. Or to your children. This is what your Christmas present is for this year. This pair of socks, a tin foil, a tuna fish, and some stationery right around. Would you Very few of us would be that excited about that kind of I mean, we're expecting something new. I'd be looking at the bottom and going, so where's the new car keys for my new car? Or diamond necklace, or whatever the case might be. For the prisoners in Angola, this package is gold. When I was there a couple of years ago on Christmas Day, and these packages were available for them after the service, it was kind of a crazy scene. They fought each other to be the first in line to get this, to get this. That little package with socks and tuna fish and stationery is a gigantic beam of light in a very dark world. And I think it's important for us to remember that light shines brightest when it's shown in the darkest places. Now, when you came in this morning, you might have said, well, why are the curtains closed? Why is the sanctuary so dark? It's a theme of light coming into the darkness. It's a theme of Advent. It's a theme of hope. And we've prepared ourselves to receive what God has given us. Not so we can hoard it for ourselves, but so that we can share it with other people, just the little things that make a difference in their world. Let us pray. And so, O oh Lord, we are thankful for who you are and for all the great gifts that you've given to us. Thank you for sending your light, the light of the world, the light of our lives, the light of our hearts and minds, Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, to chase out the darkness with which we live and to share that light with other men and women. And so bless us as we seek to do that in many different ways. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Um, this is the time in our service where we pause uh, to um, share our tithes and our offerings with uh, the congregation and with God's ministry. A couple of weeks ago, our chairman of our SLT, Dave Zilstra, uh, kind of gave us an update as to where we were financially, and we promised to share this chart every week as we made some progress to it. So it was $880,000 a couple of weeks ago. Now we need $723,000 before the end of the year. You know, I believe that this is truly possible, uh, but it's only possible if all of us participate. Um, I don't know about you, but this week in my email, there were probably 25 solicitations from other organizations that I could give to. Not a bad thing. All great causes. I'd love to give them all of them. But our number one priority in our house is to give to our local church where we are fed and where God's people serve us every day. So we invite you to participate in that way if you have uh, money that you can share with us. And if anybody here wants to write a check for 723, I'll take it right after the service. <laughs> Otherwise, we're just going to have to, each of us, do this incrementally to the best of our ability um, and share uh, the financial resources that God has given us with other men and women. And so um, I can tell right now, because I know something was going on. Greg, did we lose Alfreda and Roderick?
Yeah. Do you have something you're going to play during the offertory? Yes, Okay. How much longer do you want me to talk? <laughs> All right. You know that plan that I showed you? <laughs> this is why we have it. We knew we knew we had to get to an offertory. We didn't know exactly what it was going to look like. Um, there's some stuff going on right now with them and their life, and so they might be attending to that. So we're going to worship with our tithes and offerings. If they get back, great. If they don't, God's going to be honored anyway. Let's continue to worship together. <laughs> 